Um, quick update for those of you that are new. First of all, my name's Dave. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you. I know we have a lot of new people coming in in the summertime. We're glad you're here. We'd love to get to know you more. So if you get a chance, say hello to me after the service. I um, want to kind of let you know what's going on for us as a church right now. We just Friday night had a big carnival. Um, and so I wanted to celebrate that. There, there were estimates. We didn't get an exact count, but it was between 800 and 10,000 people that were here <laughs> on the grounds for free hot dogs and snow cones and games. Um, just getting introduced to our community, uh, welcomed into our community, so we're praying that, that more of those folks would feel welcome here at our church. Um, that Friday Night Carnival was to cap off a week of what we call our Impact Summer Bible Clubs, and so our teenagers were leading Bible clubs all over the city this week, sharing the gospel with elementary-age kids, boys and girls clubs, splash pads, uh, parks, and different places, and so we just want to give thanks for them. Um, I want to recognize everybody that helped with the carnival, with the impact clubs, with the training. If you're one of the teenagers leading a club or one of the adults helping the teens drive or bringing meals or helping run games at the clubs, any of that, can you stand up? And I just want to thank you and publicly recognize you. I'd like all of you to stand up that had any part of that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. There were a lot more people that helped, um, but a lot of them are sick because of uh, heat exhaustion this morning. So. Um, it was really hot, uh, but we survived, most of us. Um, I also want to recognize today uh, the folks that work with our teens and children in general, right? So we've got folks that volunteer in these areas week after week. So if you volunteer throughout the year, if you volunteered in the last couple of years with our teenagers or with our elementary age Sunday school or with our nursery, our younger preschool age and babies, will you stand up? If you've been a volunteer in that area, will you stand up? I recognize you and give thanks for you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your service. Um, we believe that what you do here has value. We're so thankful that you would share the gospel, that you would share the love of Christ with the next generation. We believe that it's really important that the gospel doesn't die with us, but that we continue to pass it on to our friends and neighbors. And we got to do that this week through the summer clubs, but we also get to do that week after week as you share the hope we have in Jesus uh, in our kids' classrooms and with the younger ones around. So thank you for what you do. Just want to make sure you understand those dots are connected and that what you do matters, that you are laboring for the gospel and it makes a difference. So thank you for that. Um, we're going to spend some time now in the scripture. Oh wait, there was one more thing I want to announce. This is the last week for our, our uh, Christ Community Church folks as well. We're planting a church next week. Another big thing is happening. Um, so some are going to cheat, I think, in kind of two time between the two churches. But most of them are, are leaving next week. For most folks that are going with a new church plant, this is their last week. I think most of them are part of the 9 a.m. service, but there are some. Um, if you're going out with the new church plant, will you stand as well if you're going to go help plant the new church? They're all in the 9 a.m. Okay, never mind. Um, but this is a big deal. We had a bunch of them in the 9 a.m. service. I do want to pray for them. We already had them all come up on stage a couple weeks ago and prayed for them, a prayer blessing. But I just want to pray one more time. This is a supernatural event, okay? I don't know if you realize this, to plant a church, to start a new body of believers to reach people for the gospel in a neighborhood. It's a big deal. There's a lot of spiritual resistance to this. There's a lot of just our own natural fleshly resistance to the hard work that's involved. So I'm going to pray a blessing for them real quick as they start next week. God, we thank you that you are working through us. I thank you for all those that are part of these servant teams that have been a part of impact clubs, uh, children's ministry, the nursery ministry, the teen ministry. Lord, you are working through ordinary folks like us um, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And we thank you for that awesome privilege that we get to be um, a part of your business in the world, sharing hope, sharing love. Thank you for that. We pray also for this new church, Christ Community Church, starting next week. 
Um, it'll be uh, afternoon services here for a while and then starting after that in Harker Heights. And we pray, Father, that they would reach Harker Heights for the gospel. We pray that you would strengthen them by your Holy Spirit. We pray that they would be energized against spiritual resistance, that they would be protected, that you would empower them, that they would know you're with them in a strong and powerful way, Father, that you would be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so that's enough of all the teams we've got. We'll, we might talk about some of our other teams next week. We have a lot of other volunteers in different areas, and I'll maybe mention some of those next week. But I want to spend some time looking at the Scriptures. So we're finishing up this series in John called The Last Words of Jesus. So over the summer, we'll be looking at the last week of Jesus' life as he spends his time with his disciples, as he goes to the cross and resurrection. And so the way John is written, it's like a microscope, right? Um, the first half of John covers three years, and then the last of Last half of John covers this one last week of his life, and now we're into kind of the final hours of Jesus' life. So if you have a Bible, open it up to John 15. We'll be in John 15 today. Uh, John 15 will be in verses 1 through 17, uh, and we're calling this Abide in the Vine. It's a very famous passage. Um, A lot of these verses are dear to a lot of you. Some of these verses are verses I, I memorized as a young Christian when I was 18 years old and first came to Christ. Um, some really deep stuff here, really rich analogies. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles under the chairs to follow along with us. We, we like to encourage everybody to study the Scriptures with us because we believe that God speaks to us through the Scriptures. So you can grab one of those black Bibles and turn to page 900. You could open up to 900 there, John 15. Um, he's talking about the vine. He's talking about the fruitfulness of the vine. And fruitfulness and plant imagery, fruit trees, this, this image, this idea just appears repeatedly throughout scriptures. How many of you have some fruit trees or grow a vegetable garden? Anybody out there? Some of you do that? Okay, so you have some familiarity. A lot of us are city people that you know, don't know a lot about that. I've joked before that my wife and I have done gardens and jalapenos always do great, but we don't do great with other things. Um, but one thing we bought six years ago now is my oldest daughter's 16th birthday. For her birthday, we bought her a pomegranate tree. Um, and now she's moved on and married. We get to keep the tree because it's planted in our yard. But um, we bought this tree and it takes a while for them to mature, right? So last year, after five years of growth, was the first year it, it bore fruit. Like we finally got to eat some pomegranates. And it was awesome and it was good and we celebrated and we enjoyed it because that's what the tree was planted for, right? Uh, the risk of being over obvious, that's the whole point of that pomegranate tree, is to be fruitful so that we can enjoy the fruit. And that analogy is used again and again in Scripture. Human beings have a purpose. Big pictures reflect the image of God, but uh, this analogy of fruitfulness is our purpose is to bear fruit, is to be a blessing to the world and to reflect God's image. And so in this text, Jesus is going to show us how he is actually fulfilling our purpose. And by our connection to him, we also then fulfill our purpose. Okay? So let's read John 15, verses 1 through 17. Starting in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let me pray for us. God, we, we hear your word, we receive it as from you, and we pray that your spirit would meet us here because we know we need you to hear what you have to say. We need you to change our hearts. We need you to awaken us, to give us life. So we ask for you to meet us here. We thank you that that's the kind of thing that you do. We thank you that you love us and you've proved that to us by giving us Jesus. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in John, he uses a lot of images, a lot of metaphors. We've talked about that. Of all the gospels, John is the most artistic. John is the most refined. And in some ways that makes it easier for us to understand. Some people, John is their favorite. For some people that makes it a little harder, right? And I think it kind of depends on our preferences, our learning styles. Um, this is the seventh symbol or I am statement that Jesus makes where he says, I am this, right? We've seen previously, he's the living water. He's the true temple. He's the bread from heaven, right? So he's made all these I am statements. Here he's saying he is the true vine. And so our call is to abide in the vine. And so throughout the text today, just keep that drumbeat in the back of your mind. You're called to abide in the vine. You're called to cling to Jesus. So every question that we ask this morning can in a broader sense be answered with that command. That's the central command of the passage. Abide in Jesus. Abide in the vine. Trust him. Remain in him. Cling to him. Okay? So if you don't hear anything else this morning, that's it. Trust Jesus. Okay? That's the big idea. Now, as we kind of pick it apart, I think it'd be helpful to kind of ask some questions for our outline. So my outline is this. Number one, what is the vine? What is the vine? That's the first question. Number two, what are the branches? And then number three, what's the fruit? Okay? So I'm going to try to be like just real clear, real concise, because it can be confusing. What's the vine? What are the branches? And what is the fruit? So the first question we're going to ask, what is the vine? Now, this one is kind of easy, right? You can just read the first few words and get your answer to this one, right? Verse 1 says, I am the true vine. Who's talking? Jesus. So the answer is Jesus, all right? And that's a pretty good answer to any question in a church or Sunday school class. Just to, if you're new to church, right? I didn't really start going to church until I was about 11 or 12. I, I picked that up pretty soon. Like, that's the answer. There's an old story, an old joke about this that a Sunday school teacher was asking her class, like, um, what kind of animal lives in trees and likes to eat nuts? And the kid was like, well, that sounds like a squirrel, but I, I know the answer is probably Jesus, right? 
Um, we can get a little mixed up about it, but in this case, it's right. Yeah, that, that was a squirrel, but in this case, it is Jesus. So who is the vine? What is the vine? Um, the vine is Jesus. That's the answer, right? And we could just stop there, but I want to give you, I'm, I'm a preacher, I'm a nerd, right? I want to give you a little biblical background here. There, there's more to it, right? I, I said already, throughout the scripture, people are compared to plants, and we're told that people are supposed to be fruitful, just like a plant is supposed to be fruitful, right? And so historically, there's this thing called creation, fall, redemption. Have you all ever heard those phrases before? It's kind of like the three acts of the great drama that we live in. And it's really helpful to understand, understand Scripture if you know those three acts, the three phases of the story that we're moving through. Um, so the creation, the beginning of the story, didn't last very long. God created all things good, and he created people to bear his image and to be like fruitful vines. That's what he made us for. And what happened? We failed. We failed to fulfill those purposes. Now, God is a God of redemption, so he started working this plan of redemption early on, really before Jesus even came. He picked out a people for himself, and he started saying, I'm going to save the world through this people, right? We see this call in Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you so you can bless the nations. And we see it even more clearly in the time of Moses, where he rescues the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And he says, I'm going to make you fruitful, right? Psalm 80 says this explicitly. It says that God rescued Israel like a vine out of Egypt, and he planted them in the promised land, right? And so it explicitly uses this vine imagery and says that's Israel's purpose, to be the true vine. And did Israel succeed at that? No, right? Adam and Eve failed at it. All of humanity, all of us Gentiles have failed at it. Israel, God's special people have failed at it. So all of humanity, all people groups, we're supposed to be this vine, and all of us have failed. And so Jesus comes along and says, I'm, I'm the true vine. I'm the real vine. He's the hero of the story. Sometimes we call this, when you're reading scripture, we call this gospel-centered hermeneutics or gospel-centered Bible study, where you read the scripture, and every scripture you read should point out how we have failed to live up to our potential as human beings, to bear God's image, but God is going to fix it. God is working to redeem us. God is still going to save us. And so as you see that in your mind, you can begin to have a new worldview, a new lens by which to read all of Scripture through this creation, fall, redemption paradigm. So it's a really helpful paradigm. I'm sharing this with you because I think it will help you make sense of the Scripture. Because too often, especially as Americans and as modern people, we read the Scripture and we want to be the hero of the story, right? Like we quickly rush to make it all about us. And it's about us, right? He's going to get to that. We're the branches of the vine. We're supposed to be fruitful, right? But we've got to stop and pause and look at, but what's the true vine? Because we failed and failed and failed, and Jesus is the true vine. So he's the hero that fulfilled human potential, right? He's the one that always did what we were supposed to do. He always made the right choices. He always felt the right things. He got angry at the things we should get angry at, and he loved the things we should love. And so there's this idea that Jesus is the perfect human. Jesus is the true Israelite. Here he's saying it in this language, I'm the true vine. So I want you to be reading scripture with that paradigm. You think about my job is to be fruitful. I'm supposed to bring joy in life. I haven't done that, but Jesus has, has done it for me, right? And so he says, I'm the true vine. And then he goes on and says, and my father is the vine dresser. My father's the vine dresser. He's like the farmer. He's the one tending the vine, right? He goes on in verse 2 and says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. The Greek word for prune is clean. Cleans away the dead stock, 
cuts it back so that new life can grow out of that. Any of you ever had vegetables that you had to prune or roses that you had to prune? Have you ever done that? Roses, that's pretty common. Or uh, fruit tree, right? You prune it back and new life grows out of it. And so here we see that our Heavenly Father is committed to our fruitfulness. He's committed to us. Now there is, there is a distinction. There are branches that are thrown away that refuse to cling to the vine by faith. And then there are branches that do cling to the vine by faith. So those that cling to the vine by faith that abide in the vine, he's going to keep working with you. And we're going to get to that in the next section. So we'll hit that in the next section. But he says here in verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. So his disciples are already clinging to him by faith. We trust you, even though we don't really understand this. And so in Christian theology, we talk about this as kind of a point in time called justification, where we trust, we abide in the work of Jesus as the true vine, that he was faithful when we were not, that he was fruitful when we were not. And as we trust in him to be our substitute, to take our place, to be the real vine, to be the real fruitful person, the, the champion of the world, as we trust him, then by faith we receive forgiveness, righteousness, justification is the fancy word for that, right? We're seen in God's eyes as righteous. So that's a point in time. You're already clean. You're already saved. There's an alreadiness to our savedness, right? I'm making up words, sorry. That, that, that's secure. And then there's an ongoing work. So he's saying, you're already clean. You're saved. You're in. But you know what? The Father's going to keep cleaning you. He's going to keep pruning you. And unfortunately, I'm sad to say, I've experienced this, you've experienced this, pruning doesn't always feel good, right? Like sometimes God cuts things away in our life, and that process feels painful and can feel scary, but we can trust in the Father's love. that He's this vine dresser tending to his vine, and Jesus is the true vine, the stalk, the root. And as we cling to him by faith, God's going to keep working with us. And so Philippians 1 talks about that where Paul says, I trust that God the Father is going to finish what he started in you. I've seen the gospel at work in your heart, and God's going to finish it. So there's a, a point in time salvation and an ongoing work. We sometimes call that sanctification, ongoing cleaning. We're made clean. We're forgiven forever. God sees us as whole, and then that gives us the strength then to trust him as he starts cutting away other stuff, and we keep growing in life. So I want you to look at a picture here of an actual vine. Look at that fruit. How many of you have ever been to a vineyard? We actually have vineyards in the hill country here. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see. I was talking to a friend yesterday who said he, he was out somewhere in Europe and got to go to actual vineyards, and they got to go um, eat this great meal and harvest grapes. And it was just beautiful and incredible. Um, like I said, closest thing I've gotten to is harvesting pomegranates from our pomegranate tree. Um, but there's great fruit to be enjoyed. And that is what we're made for as human beings is, is to be that fruitful vine, but we're told Jesus is the true vine. And so how do we apply that? Um, we, we struggle with this. I'm always trying to like say, how do we put this to, to action in our real life, right? I don't want to just tell you, change your mind and believe in the creation, fall, redemption construct. So I was talking about this with Chris Webster, our worship pastor. And he's like, this is, he was giving me his own kind of testimony. This is what this looks like for me as a young father and husband, Right. Um, Chris was talking, I have experienced the same thing as well. When I believe that I'm the vine and that it's all up to me, that can overwhelm me, right? So just think, whatever your role is, for me, for him, father, husband, if it's all on my shoulders to be the vine, I recognize, man, I can't do this and, and I'm tempted to run away in despair. Or I might fall into the trap of pride. That's the other direction my heart can go, right? I start to think, I can do this. 
I'm going to be awesome, and I hurt people along the way, right? Pride is always destructive, and it's deceitful. But if I know that Jesus is the true vine, if I know that he's the true vine, and I'm counting on him, and I'm just clinging to him by faith, that gives me the freedom to just do the next right thing. That was Chris's words. I thought was really helpful, right? Like, that clears your head. You, you have the space. You're trusting Jesus to be the true vine. He's the champion. You're not the champion. He's the hero. I'm not the hero. I'm trusting in him, and that gives me the freedom to just say, what's the next right thing? So, so I would ask you that. I heard, heard it said this way on a podcast the other day. Like, if you weren't afraid, what would you do, right? If you weren't overwhelmed, what would you do? If you weren't despairing, what would you do? Or if you weren't soaked in pride and deceitfulness about your own strength that's, you know, far outstrips the reality, what would you do? What's the next right thing that God would have you to do if you could actually trust him? If he was your hero, if he was your champion? And say, Lord, what's, what's that next thing? What's the next thing for me to do? You don't, you don't have to save the world. He's done that for you. Just be faithful in the next thing. And I think that's how that can translate into real life. Our kids last week did the Impact Clubs, and one of the gospel presentations they learned is, is kind of a new one. It's been out for the last few years, become popular, kind of a short way of summarizing the gospel. It's sometimes called the Three Circles. Have you all ever heard of this before? The Three Circles presentation of the gospel. You could Google it. You could go get trained in it. I think we're going to try to start teaching more folks at the church. But it basically takes the creation, fall, redemption storyline, and it's just a, like drawn a napkin, three circles, right? The three worlds. And it starts with the world of fall, of brokenness that we live in. It starts with, yeah, that's, that's where we live. We live in this world of brokenness. We live in the world of the vines aren't fruitful like they're supposed to be, right? Like life is not the way it's supposed to be. We all know that. We've all been hurt by other people's sin, and we've hurt people by our sin. So that's the circle. That's the world we live in. And that intuitively reminds us of the world that we all, it's hardwired into us, we all know was, right? Genesis reveals it, the world of creation, everything being the way it's supposed to be. God said, it's good. We can go to scripture and see that revealed, but we also kind of intuitively can, can kind of smell it, right? We can kind of sniff out, God made the world to be good. Like, we know that. Like, we know it's broken because we know it's supposed to be good, Right? But because of our sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin, and our repeating of Adam and Eve's sin, we've fallen into this disintegration. We've fallen into this world of brokenness. But God's not done with us yet. That's the good news. He's come after us in Jesus. So that's that third circle or that third world is the, the world of redemption, the salvation that we have in Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, and that's taking us into that, that new world. So we kind of live between those worlds right now, right? Kind of live in the world of brokenness and pain, uh, knowing now the, the down payment, the taste of redemption that Jesus has given us in Christ, looking forward to him finishing what he started. That, that's where we are. And I just want you to think about this for a second before we move on to the next point. Um, Adam and Eve said, we want the fruit, we want fruitfulness, we want the fruit, but we don't want our creator. And I think that's, that's the same way we, f- we fall out of fruitfulness every day, Right? We say, yeah, I want the blessings, God, but I don't want you. And Jesus here is saying, no, the, the way you get the fruit is by being connected to the creator. And so that brings us to the next section. The next section is, what are the branches? What are the branches? Um, here, here's my little summary, again, to try to be as explicit as possible. The branches are those connected by faith to Jesus. The word he uses is abide, which means to remain, stay, live, rest, cling. The branches are those connected by faith to Jesus, okay? Wait, that skipped ahead. Go forward. Don't look at that. Okay. So verse 4 says, Abide in me, 
and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. That's a really good verse to memorize. I think that was one of those I memorized when I first became a Christian. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, We're tempted to think we can have the fruit, to think we can be the vine apart from Jesus. He's saying, apart from me, you can't fulfill what you were made for. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Okay, now we'll look at the picture of the fire. Um, he's saying that there are branches that are thrown away because they don't cling by faith to the root, to the vine, to Jesus. And then there are those that flourish. Maybe life's not perfect. Maybe we go through hard years of pruning, but we're going to grow fruit because we're clinging to the vine by faith. There there are two options. Um, Systematic theology labels this place of fire hell, right? And that's sometimes a kind of a cartoonish way of describing it as as hell. The way Jesus described it was Gehenna. And Gehenna was an actual place outside of Jerusalem, which was their garbage pit. And in their garbage pit, they had fires constantly burning. They were always burning their trash at their garbage dump. And so think about, like, you're ever outside when the trash truck drives by? And it kind of stinks, right? I feel sorry for my wife because she has a much more powerful sense of smell than I do, so it kind of, like, knocks her over, right? I'm like, I think I smelled something weird. Um, it smells pretty bad, right, when the garbage truck drives by, or have you ever been to the city dump? It smells pretty bad, right? Well, think of that times 10, and that would have been Gehenna, right? There would have been this refuse and garbage and dead bodies and just all kinds of gross stuff, and then they would have fires going all the time. The way hell is described, most Christian teachers believe that hell is eternal because human beings are so amazing and so glorious the way we're made in the image of God that we just kind of keep going. But we're going and going without attachment to the vine, without the, the sap, without the life, without the fruitfulness. And so that's like an eternal disintegration. Um, and people disagree on exactly what that looks like. But I think it's important that we stop and say, but, but it's horrible, right? It's like life without God is not really life. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is Tim Keller. Someone asked him, like, surely you don't believe in a literal hell, right? Keller's answer was like, well, well, no, I don't think it's literal. I think it's much worse, right? It's much worse than literal fire. And so I think we need to kind of keep the horror somewhat in the front of our minds. It is a horrible doctrine. And if you like hell, there's something wrong with you, okay? <laughs> right? You're supposed to not like it. It's like the one doctrine you're supposed to hate. But that doesn't mean it's not true. And so here he's describing that by branches being thrown into the fire. There, there are those that are connected to the life in Jesus and there are those that are not and they're thrown away and burned up. He goes on in verse seven. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's through the bearing of fruit that we glorify the Father. It's through the bearing of fruit that we show that we are a branch connected to the vine, that we're a part of what God's doing and making this new fruitful tree in a world of failure, in a world of unfruitfulness. God is, is fixing that. And he's, he's farming and he's making fruit and it's gonna be the way it's supposed to be. And we show that, we glorify him, we show his greatness as we bear fruit and stay connected to him. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. So abide in my love. So he ends in verse, five, uh, verse 9 with abide in my love. And he started the section in verse 4, abide in me. Again, that's to stay, to wait, to be connected to. That's what that word means, to cling by faith. So my definition, what are the branches? The branches are those connected by faith to Jesus. Are you connected by faith to Jesus? That means are you with open hands of faith saying, Jesus, I need you and I can't do this on my own. That, that's what that means. Um, Paul describes this in Romans chapter 11. It's a good cross-reference. I wouldn't turn to it now because it's a long section. I'm just going to kind of summarize it for you. But Paul says in God's work with Israel, he was making this fruitful vine that he described in Psalm 80. He said, this is my fruitful vine. I'm pulling them out of Egypt. I'm planting them. Uh, Paul's describing that in, in Romans chapter 11. He's saying, yeah, this fruitful vine, he uses a different, slightly different metaphor. He talks about it as an olive tree, so another fruit tree. He says, God has planted this olive tree, but those that didn't cling to God by faith are broken off for their unbelief. They're broken off. And he says, those of us, those of us that came from different tribes that are not Jews, right? The other ethnicities of the world are grafted in by faith. Did you know you can take a branch from one fruit tree and graft it into another fruit tree and it will grow and bear fruit? And so God is saying, that's, that's what I've done. I'm building this multi-ethnic fruit tree, right, where I've grafted all this stuff in and we're grafted in by faith. And that's what Paul is saying. So there, there he's clarifying the same idea that to abide in the vine is to cling to Jesus by faith. So are you trusting him? Are you clinging to him? Are you delighting in him? Verse 7, he says, this is what it looks like to cling to him by, by faith. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, right? We're obsessed with Jesus' words, Jesus' priorities, Jesus' life. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Isn't that amazing? And we need to be careful. We talked about this in John 14. He said almost the exact same thing in John 14 about prayer, right? We don't believe this means uh, without condition, right? Because here he's saying this kind of person has Jesus' words resting within them, right? We're abiding in his love. We're abiding in him. We're obsessed with Jesus. And so when those who are obsessed with Jesus ask things of God, he grants it because we're obsessed with Jesus, right? And so praying in Jesus' name, is some of the language we've seen also, is not praying in my name. Uh, my Wednesday men's Bible study, Andrew Howerton, was talking about it that way. He's like, yeah, it means I'm not, I'm not praying in my name. I'm praying in Jesus' name. Those are two different things. Now, we've clarified again and again that there are kind of two sides to our prayer life, and I would encourage you to work both sides of your prayer life. So we see this example even in Jesus' life where he prayed for things that he wanted God to change in his circumstances, right? When the cup of wrath was coming, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death saying, if there's any other way, I'm praying, take this cup from me. And so I just want to counteract that and say, that's appropriate to pray, but he also said, but not my will, your will be done. So here, I think we're talking more about the not my will, but your will be done kind of praying, right? God, I'm, I'm praying for your will to be established. I'm, I'm praying for more Jesus in the world, right? And so we need to pray both kinds of prayers. And the Psalms are a great example of that. I, I keep coming back to that as our example of prayer in your prayer life. Pray like a psalmist who says, oh God, how long until you rescue me, but yet I will praise you, right? Like Jesus in the garden. Please take this from me, this hurts, but not my will, your will be done. And we need to just pray both sides. I think as Christians, we often swing hard one way or the other, right? We only pray like, God, give me a new Cadillac kind of prayers. That's all we ever pray, right? 
And we never pray, may your empire be extended. May you conquer the world with your peace and love and your gospel, your good news, right? So we need to pray both kinds of prayers. The other side of it is sometimes when we're so focused on God's will, we just never ask for anything at all, right? Some, some of you swing that other way where you're kind of fatalistic. Well, God knows what, he's want, what he wants, so I'm not going to tell him anything or just may your will be done. And we never actually ask him for anything. So we need to pray both sides. But here, I think he's clearly talking about ask whatever you will in my name, right? In the name of Jesus. Are you praying in the name of Jesus? Are you asking for his goodness to be extended? A great cross-reference is Psalm 37.4. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you believe that? We often hear the second part, right? He's going to give me the desires of my heart. I get whatever I want, right? It's like a shopping spree. And he says, delight yourself in the Lord. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Do his words abide in you as you abide in him and in his love. So again, this is not, this is not a call to deny what we want or our reality. It's just a, a call to pray both sides of it. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in his love? Are you wanting his love to be spread, and as you pray those things, he's going to give you whatever you ask. And so this is the way I would make this real practical. As you seek to extend the love of Jesus, he's going to give you supernatural empowerment to do that, right? He's going to actually allow you to glorify him, and that's a supernatural thing. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Often we want miracles that make our life easier, but I think God is uh, more often granting the miracles where he allows us supernaturally to spread his name and fame, spread more of who he is. And so as we, as we pray this, he's going to grant um, the answer to these prayers. So what are the branches? The branches are those who abide in Christ, who cling to him by faith. And he says, those branches pray for more of the vine. And God answers that prayer and extends the vine. He's going to make you fruitful. So that takes us to this last, se- this last section. What is, what is the fruit? So what is the fruit? So here's my little definition for the fruit, summarizing everything in this long section. We've got verses 10 through 17. The fruit is joyful obedience to God's commands. You got that? The fruit is joyful obedience to God's commands. And we've talked about how we as human beings like to separate obedience and commands and put it over here in the drudgery box, right? But Jesus mixes it up over here with the love and joy box. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Because for Jesus, he loves the Father, so he loves doing what the Father has called him to do. So here he says the fruit of a human, being everything that a human is supposed to be, being a branch that's connected to the true vine, is going to be to produce the fruit of joyful obedience to God's commands. And Jesus' summary of that whole sentence, joyful obedience to God's commands, right? What's the summary of that? Jesus calls it love. Love. So all of that is in this section. Joyful obedience to God's commands is love. His summary of the law in other places is The whole law is summed up in love God and love people. Are we doing that? That's the fruit that we are producing, right? When Genesis says, be fruitful and multiply, you know, we think of having kids, which is part of it, right? He wants to conquer the world with the peace and love of Jesus. Having kids helps us to do that. But he's also really talking about how we actually love one another, right? How we are spiritually fruitful. That's what he's driving at here. So look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, right? So we're going to recapitulate that relationship. We're going to like run through that all over again. The Father loves the Son, sends the Son to love us. The Son loves us, sends us to love one another. We're going to show that same pattern 
of love. He talks about that in verse 10. Verse 11, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And it looks like joy, not drudgery, but it looks like joy. We actually like it. It's joy. And then in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So remember, this is about to happen. They don't fully understand yet what's going to happen, but he's going to lay down his life quite literally for his friends. He laid down his life for you and me. And so the life that we know of love and joy and obedience to God's commands is fueled by God who loved us first. He's also going to make this even more clear when he's going to talk about how we didn't initiate this, but he did. Look at verse 14. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. So I hope you see here the move out of the drudgery box into the joy box, right? You're not just a slave doing whatever your master tells you. You're now a buddy, and you love the same things. You laugh at the same jokes. You have the same delights in life. He's saying that's the transition that's taking place in our life. And then now he makes it really explicit in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. What does all this look like? This joyful obedience to his commands, this clinging to him by faith, it looks like loving one another. That's what it looks like. And it's initiated by his love. And so what does that mean? Does that mean we wait to feel loved before we love one another? I think it's an important distinction here, right? Because I want you to know that that's where the real power comes from. Knowing we love because he first loved us, right? You can't love God to win his love, right? You being so impressive with your obedience is not what wins a relationship. He says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. He loved us first. He's the one that initiated this relationship. So we're always responding. But here's a danger, guys. What that can sometimes look like in our everyday life is we say, so I'm going to wait till I feel really super loved and joyful, and then I'm going to obey God, right? Then I'll stop sinning. And I'm not telling you to do that. That's, that's the wrong direction to take it, right? When we recognize mentally God loved me, so I should love him, but we still don't feel like it, you know what we should do? We should obey anyway, Okay. We should do what he says, and we should do it repentantly. We should do it like, I'm sad that I don't feel this joy. Like, I should feel this joy. There's something wrong with me that my emotions don't match the obedience. There's something broken in me. God changed me, but I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to do what you asked me anyway, because you've proven your love to him in Jesus. As we do that, we're actually going to see him more clearly. As we obey, we're going to understand him better. Sometimes we're blinded by our sin, because it's an addiction. It's a snare, right? It's got its claws in us. And as we step out, as we repent, as we turn from that sin and say, Jesus, I don't feel like it, and this doesn't feel like the right choice to make, but I know intellectually that you've loved me, so I'm going to start following you. I'm going to obey you as we step into that. We're going to see him more clearly. We're going to understand who he is. He's going to be glorified as we obey his commands. And we're going to repent when we don't feel like it. We're going to repent and say, Lord, change my heart so that I actually feel the full joy that I should feel as I walk with you by faith and obedience. So what is the fruit? The fruit is joyful obedience to God's commands. 
And that's summarized by the word love, right? Um, now, let's go back literal, literally. What is the fruit of the vine literally, right? Well, the fruit of the vine literally is grapes, are grapes. Um, but the fruit of the vine, one of the common translations for that is also wine, right? Um, wine is seen repeatedly throughout Scripture as a blessing. Um, now, all blessings, here's a picture of people in, enjoying wine together, all blessings we can take too much of, right? Uh, and so I think when we, there are kind of three big blessings that God has given us in life that I put in the same category, um, alcohol, sex, and fire, okay? Those three things are these incredible gifts from God, and we abuse them, right? They can kill us if we use them the wrong way. And so we just need to have that in mind that repeatedly throughout Scripture, all of those things can be overindulged, they can be turned into an idol, they can be turned into something they're not meant to be, um, but repeatedly, wine and the fruit of the vine is seen as a blessing. Now, when we take it too far, when you drink too much, uh, we call that drunkenness, right? Um, and so scripture has this careful view of alcohol where it says it, it can be something to be enjoyed as a blessing, but can also be abused and you can hurt yourself. Now, some of you, I just want to be clear, some of you You've messed around with it too much. Chemically, there are issues where you should probably just not enjoy that blessing anymore, right? There are plenty of other blessings in life. Um, but in general, the, the posture of Scripture is, this is a blessing to be enjoyed, just be careful, because it is dangerous. And when you enjoy it too much, it's called drunkenness, and Paul has very specific language about that in Ephesians 5.18. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So I hope you see kind of the weird irony there Jesus, Paul, is saying there in the letter to the Ephesians that in a sense we should be like drunk, filled with the Holy Spirit rather than the fruit of the vine, rather than the wine. He's saying, I want to see you spiritually fruitful, right? If you're going to overindulge, overindulge by clinging by faith to Jesus, by being filled with his spirit, by being overwhelmed with his priorities. And he says when, when you do that, that's going to then begin to change your character. He carries the same analogy in a slightly different direction in Galatians. Famous passage in Galatians 5, 22, where he talks about the fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit then, being filled with the Spirit, of imbibing the Spirit. What's the fruit of that in your life? He says it's love. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says that is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. That's the fruit that's what it means to be a fruitful vine, to be a branch that's clinging to Jesus. All of this, again, the summary is the fruit of this vine as we cling to Jesus by faith is joyful obedience to God's commands. That can be translated as love, right? Looks like character change. What are the character aspects that you see there in the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What of those are you not seeing exhibited in your life? Will you this week meditate on that verse? that fruit of the Spirit, what's not happening in your life? If you really want to be risky, ask a friend. If you really want to be insulted, ask your spouse or one of your kids, right? Maybe a brother or sister. Which of the fruit are missing in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Um, what, what's missing? And connect the dots there between that character being exhibited as you cling to Jesus by faith, as you're filled with the Spirit, and what he tells us to, uh, to abide in him. Cling to me. Hold on to me. Be faithful. And then you'll be a branch that bears much fruit. And, and this little exercise I'm giving you, this is going to be something that, that God uses 
to clean you, right? And as I said, it's not always comfortable as he's pruning away the, the dead in our life so that we can be more fruitful. It's painful, it hurts. But he's gonna bear fruit in your life as, as you do this, as you cling to him by faith. Um, we gotta wrap up. One more cross-reference. Okay, one more, all right? Maybe two. Romans 12. I'm right at the end. I'm at this last little section of my notes here. Romans 12 describes it this way. Romans 12, picking up from the Romans 11 section, I mentioned that earlier, we're this olive tree, we're grafted in, we're connected by faith, right? Then in Romans 12, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, because of all that he's done for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, right? Give yourself away. And as he works through chapter 12, he starts talking about the unique different gifts we all have, right? We're all, we're all peculiar. We have different personalities, different resources, different gifts. He's saying, take those and offer them. Keep giving them away on an ongoing basis as a living sacrifice. And that's what it looks like to be this fruitful branch that's grafted in to the tree, that's, that's taking the sap, the life force from Jesus who's being renewed and, and bearing fruit. You're going to use your unique gifts and offer them to others. You're going to love and serve others with the gifts that you have. So abide in the vine. As I said, there are a lot of questions we've been asking this morning. The answer is abide in the vine. Cling to Jesus. Hold on to him desperately. Don't cling to the other things that you think they're going to save you. Cling to Jesus. He's the one that's going to save you. Psalm 80 is the one where it talks about God's people, their purpose being to be a vine. And Psalm 80 kind of transitions from God's purpose in them to saying, oh God, will you... Will you fulfill the purposes you made us for, right? And so it becomes a prayer. Psalm 80 is really interesting. It becomes a prayer and, and prophetic prayer where the psalmist is saying, oh God, will you make this happen? And what I want you to see is God is fulfilling his promise. He is making humanity. He's making you and me fruitful because Jesus is the true vine. So I just want to finish with Psalm 80, a few verses from there as a prayer as a reflection that God is fulfilling these promises. I mean, you can close your eyes. If, if you don't like eye closing, you can leave them open. But you might close your eyes and listen to this as I'll just finish with Psalm 80. Psalm 80, 14 says, Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O God, we thank you that you are fulfilling and answering this prayer that you prayed thousands of years ago. This is being answered in Jesus. He is the Son of Man. He is the one that gives us life. Thank you for restoring us. Help us to cling to you by faith. Help us to abide in the vine that we might bear fruit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.